0: And I want to read just uh, four verses from Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And this comes at the end of a uh, uh, fairly extensive uh, historical vision that uh, Daniel has seen, uh, recounting uh, a great deal of immediate the immediate future, but then his attention turns to the far future, uh, and he says, in verse one, "At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as, ne- as never has been since there was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered." Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many, those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Let's bow our heads in prayer again. Let's pray. Father, as we come to consider this this passage, uh, we thank you for it, and we pray that you bless us by it, that you open our ears and our eyes to hear and to see your word, and our hearts to receive all that you'd say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this may be a passage that is uh, strange to turn to. uh, One, on Easter Sunday, and secondly, at a baptismal service. And you may still think so at the end. However, we'll press on, and I hope it'll make sense as we, we go on. But of course, today's the day we particularly want to remember uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day that the tomb was found to be empty, and it was opened. The stone had been rolled away, and the grave clothes were left there, but there was no body. And the body, it seemed, for a moment, had disappeared. And it was from that day that the risen Jesus began to appear to people and to... Make himself known to people. And the astute amongst you will have noticed in this passage that we read that there is a reference to resurrection in it. You'll see it there in verse 2. Uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting uh, contempt. Now, it's not speaking there about the resurrection of Jesus, but more of a, a general resurrection of the dead. Uh, but, of course, the two resurrections are deeply connected. Uh, Jesus was raised to life on that first Easter Sunday, and Paul, the apostle, describes Jesus as the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. In other words, Jesus comes first, but he comes as the first evidence of a greater harvest yet to come. The first fruits come first, and then the greater harvest comes later. And that greater harvest is that resurrection of his people to everlasting life. And if I may say, at this point, the baptism that we have just witnessed together is a vitally important sign and seal of all of that to every Christian. Because, of course, it's in Romans chapter 6. The the Apostle Paul speaks of baptism and how it reminds us that if Christ has been put to death and then raised to life, then we too, if we are in Christ, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we too have undergone a death like his so that we will undergo a resurrection like his. And so our baptism speaks to us of the certainty of that future resurrection yet to come. This is uh, no new idea. Re- the idea of resurrection is no new idea that came with the apostles, though. And it- here it is in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Daniel's writing in the 6th century BC is a time of exile for uh, Judah and Jerusalem and the scattering of the people into foreign lands, into Babylon. It's a time of national tragedy and it seems as though uh, to the to the people of god that it's as though god has cast them off where is god in all of this and it seems as though god's people have become just like the rest of of the pagan world there no longer seems to be particular mercy for god's people who have time and time again ignored god's law and his covenant promises And so Psalm 137, for example, uh, is a psalm that is written in the time of the exile uh, in Babylon. And the people of God say, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing when all this tragedy has happened all around us? But God is not finished with his people. God was not finished with his people. And he still isn't finished with his people. There is a kingdom that one day will destroy every other kingdom. And there is one like a son of man who will receive all power and authority over all peoples, who will rule this kingdom that will last forever and will not pass away and will not be destroyed. Now that's a great encouragement to us, isn't it? it? I hope so. Yet the people of God... They still have to endure difficult, if not impossible, times. And interestingly, not by taking them out of the difficult times, not making them rise above the difficult times, so much as taking them through the difficult times. And this is what the the last two chapters of Daniel is, is warning Daniel about. that The times are going to get difficult. Uh, chapter 11 looks at the centuries ahead for Daniel, and there is a remarkable accuracy in the prophecy of what's going to happen in Daniel's future history. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that, but Alexander the Great is there. Remember Alexander the Great? who swept across all of Europe and then went eastwards, away across even as far as India, amassing a great empire. And then when the empire was broken up, uh, another uh, Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, arose, a brutal dictator. And he is described in great detail in chapter 11 as well. And in all of this, it seems as though uh, things are just going to get worse for God's people in the midst of it all. But there are indications as we get to the end of chapter 11 that Daniel's vision stretches far beyond these historical figures. Because when we get to chap, uh, verse 40 of chapter 11, Daniel begins to speak about the time of the end. The last episode of history. Where some great leader is going to come to the, to the glorious land. And in the lead up to that, there will be great suffering. And so when we come to chapter 12, it begins in the same way, at that time, at that time. So this is the time we're speaking of, the end of history. But it's here that we find the promises of help for God's people. Help in the midst of suffering, help in the midst of all kinds of trials. And not only help in the midst of it, but a glorious future. Yet to come. So if you're a Christian today and you're going through a difficult time and you know, haven't we all experienced some sort of difficulty in the last year? Let there be great encouragement taken from these verses for us in these times. Let me mention four ways that God gives us encouragement. The first is protection for God's people. In verse one, there's somebody mentioned here that you've maybe heard of before. Michael. Michael, a great prince. Um, who is, uh, and he is somebody who is, is like, his name means who is like God. It's a, his name is a pointer to the identity of his God. Now, who is this Michael? Well, in chapter 10 of Daniel, he's described as the chief of princes who fights the spiritual forces of darkness while the people of God are praying. And Michael also appears in Jude, verse 9, as in the New Testament. And he's described as an archangel contending with the devil. And Revelation describes uh, him warring against this Michael, warring against the dragon and his angels. In other words, Satan who is finally and definitively cast down. And it's that Michael that will be engaged in those last moments that is mentioned here in Daniel. And Michael, the archangel, is here to help God's people. He is given charge, you see there in verse 1, he is given charge of your of God's people. Of da, sorry, of Daniel's people. In other words, he has a responsibility from God to act for the people of God. Now, this is one of the ways that God brings help to his people throughout the ages, through his angels. And here's an archangel, the ruling angel, And we have come across angels in our studies here in this church. Recently, we were looking at Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus spoke of angels in relation to the little ones. Talked about their angels, whatever that may mean. But the the key point about their angels, the angels of these little ones, is that they are always before the face of God. As it were, they're always bringing to God The conditions and circumstances of these little ones. And God acts to guard and protect and help his little ones. See, God never forgets his little ones, his people. And these angels, they seem to be active in ministering and serving and helping God's people to endure any difficulties in life. That means there's always help from heaven. There's always help from heaven. And it's Michael's job to take up the weapons of this unseen cosmic warfare for the sake of God's people. As one commentator wrote, Unseen legions stand behind the wobbly people of God in their darkest hour. Isn't that great encouragement? We are the wobbly people of God, but behind us are the angels of heaven. Do you feel wobbly today as a Christian? It's just as well, then, that your survival and your, your spiritual prosperity don't depend on you, isn't it? If you're that wobbly. But you have help. Your future survival and spiritual prosperity depend on God. Working through his angels. And that's, the, that's always been the way of Christians down the ages as, as they have suffered under different circumstances. It's one of the reasons why it's so helpful to read Christian biography, to read about Christians of the past and how they have endured in the face of all kinds of, of suffering, how men and women have been sustained in difficult and sometimes desperate times. And if it's been true for them, it's true for you and for me today. We will be sustained. And that's a great encouragement to us. Encouragement number one. Here's encouragement number two. Your name is written in the book of life if you're a believer today. Your name is written in the book of life. You see that there at the end of verse one. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of We can see that God cares about his people and that he knows them because their names are written in a book. Now, what book is that? Well, this book is not just mentioned in a strange bit of prophecy like Daniel. Paul speaks about the book of life, the New Testament apostle. He speaks about his co-workers whose names are in the book of life, Philippians 4.13. Not just because they are co-workers, but because they are Christians. And Christians' names are written in the book of life. And that's an idea that is found even in the Old Testament. Psalm 87. The city of Zion is described. That great city. uh, Using Jerusalem as the basis for thinking about Zion. Where he's really thinking about the new Jerusalem of heaven. And the psalmist says, "The Lord records as He registers His peoples. God writes down the names of His people." And the book of of life is, is mentioned several times in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. And it's those people whose names are, that are in it that will enjoy eternal life in the New Jerusalem forever. So there is a book. There's, God has a book. With the names of his people written into it. And if you're a Christian today, then your name is written in the book of life. And he has not forgotten you. And he will never forget you. He will never leave you behind. He hasn't, and he's not made a mistake in writing your name in. He will not try and rub your name out because he's found a mistake. Your name is in it. And it's written in. And it's an indelible ink. If you're in the book, you're known to God and you're known to him personally. And it's possible for you and me to come to an assurance that we are that in that book. Now, I can't point to a verse of the Bible and say Stephen Dancer's name is written in the book of life. That's not how it works. What happens is this. That God grants his people a living faith at a time of his choosing. And he grants repentance at the time of his choosing. And he puts you, as it were, God the Father puts you into Christ. And he gives you his Holy Spirit. And it's then his Holy Spirit who then testifies with your spirit You're one of God's children, and you're able to cry out, Abba, Father, you're my Father in heaven. It's no small thing to say to to God, you're my Father in heaven. And then you will know, when God does all that, then you will know that you're written in the book of life. What a wonderful encouragement, therefore, to the people who are being considered as trash and scum In Daniel's time and throughout history ever since. Your name is written in the book of life. God knows you. And that's so important to remember when times are difficult. Here's the third encouragement. God's people shall be vindicated. Vindicated. Now, where do you see that in this passage? This idea of being vindicated. Well, bear with me. Let me just explain for a minute. Notice that in verse 2, there is a remarkable thing described. A general resurrection is described from the dead. Look at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I say general uh, resurrection because it's not just Christians that will be raised, and not just God's people that will be raised, but everybody will be raised whether you're Christian or not. But not everyone will be raised to eternal life and eternal salvation. So, no, this, this day will be a great division day. Uh, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. And this is that teaching of Jesus. If you have a problem with that teaching, then you have a problem with Jesus teaching that because he says the same thing in John chapter 5, verse 29. Some will be raised to, to the resurrection uh, uh, of life, and some to the resurrection of judgments. Now this idea of a general resurrection was not a new idea uh, brought in by Jesus, as it were. You may remember that uh, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus says to Martha, "Uh, your brother will rise again. And Martha's immediate response is, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This is, this is Martha, whose uh, tears pouring down her face at the loss of her brother. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So, so she believed in a resurrection at the last day. And that was, a, that was generally believed. But in a sense... It's not necessarily good news for everyone, because it has one of those two outcomes for people. And the missing factor is: what is it that vindicates some people to and leads them to everlasting life? What is it that leaves people in their sin and to everlasting contempt? In other words, what is the factor? By which a person may be declared to be righteous. And that's what we mean by vindicated. Righteous before God. And of course that factor is Jesus Christ himself. There needed to be someone who would lead the way in death and resurrection. Jesus came as the great pioneer. He came as the one who lived a perfect righteous life as a king as a champion for his people, as a representative for his people, who then in all his holy perfection became sin for us on the cross. Now, that doesn't mean he became a sinner because he was righteous, but he became sin for us legally. He therefore became liable for the the penalty of the sins of others. He became the object of God's wrath against sin for the sake of an otherwise lost and defeated people. And then amazingly, on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And the Apostle Paul again describes that resurrection in 1 Timothy 3.16 as his vindication by the Spirit. You see, Jesus went from being sin for his people To at his resurrection becoming once again right the righteous one, declared to be righteous by his father, having accomplished all that he had been sent to do. And so now he stands at the right hand of the Father and is described in one John chapter two as Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus was a pioneer. Through death for us. And that's why Jesus' answer to Martha's comment about a general resurrection at the last day is this. I am the resurrection and the life. The implication of this is that the factor that guarantees that a person will be resurrected to eternal life is that they have Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is how your name is written in the book of life. That is how you will be raised to everlasting life. And it will be a glorious day, the day of the resurrection of Jesus' own people. And as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's going to be a day of great revelation, the day of resurrection, where the sons of God will be revealed. Today, people claim to be Christian, and some are and some aren't, and nobody quite knows whether it's true. You just look at people and you can't tell, and nobody's certain, unless you actually are a Christian. But you can't tell just by looking at someone, necessarily. But there will come a day when the sons of God will be revealed the day of resurrection. And that's an encouragement, isn't it? That we look forward to a resurrection in Jesus Christ. And here's the fourth and last way that the people of God are encouraged at this time. God's people shall shine in troubled times. One of the benefits of being God's people, of being Jesus' people, is that they grow in wisdom. And we've been studying that in the book of Proverbs over the last few weeks. And it's our prayer that our children grow in wisdom. And especially today as we think about Aviana who's been baptized, that she too will grow in wisdom. And in verse 3, we see here that... the. Uh, Daniel speaks of those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you have been around Christians for any length of time and you begin to see you begin to see some of that shining in their lives especially people who have been Christians for a long time there's a kind of uh, I hesitate to say this, but there's a kind of glow about Christians who have walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for many years. There's a kind of reflected glory that begins to be part of their lives, and they begin to shine. You know, uh, Now that can be hard to believe at times. For me, there have been a number of occasions in ministry. And I've only ever been a minister here in Solihull. There have been a number of times when there have been moments of panic. How is this church going to survive? Uh, or despair? How can we get out of this hole that we're in? And we have been in a few holes in the past. And these things happen. But there have been moments when somebody who is much wiser than I has come, in, come alongside me and in great wisdom, and not in bombastic superiority, has spoken wise words into my soul. And they've helped me to see the situation more clearly and helped me to live more righteously in and through Christ. And their lives have shone for me. And they have been a great encouragement to me. That, this is what I think is being spoken of here one of the ways that God helps us is that he gives us wise people around us to encourage us in the truth of God's word. And it's not just that Christians survive and get through by the skin of their teeth. It's that they shine. They begin to stand out. They begin to be like the stars in the sky. I suppose, like you're like me, that you don't spend all your time thinking about the stars in the sky. And maybe on occasions when you're out at night and you look up into a, a clear sky, you see the stars and maybe you begin to pick out the constellations that you maybe learned when you were a child. That's what I do sometimes. And there are certain, and it's, there's a certain wonder that comes over you in those moments. Just for a few moments, you think, wow. What's up there is amazing, isn't it? I wonder if that's the kind of effect that Christians are supposed to have in the world. Not just surviving, not just getting through, but actually beginning to shine in a dark world. We may have to suffer many things as Christians. We may have to endure things we don't like. But there is something about Christians who have been Uh, touched by the grace of God and have grown in righteousness, grown in wisdom. And God seems to use Christians like that to great effect in the world. And it seems to be that as Christians are present in a society shining with that reflected glory that comes from Jesus Christ, it turns many others to righteousness. Do you notice that little evangelistic note there that the church of Jesus Christ is to be a light in the world a city on a hill, salt and light all of these things and that's what God does maybe we don't even notice it ourselves but that's what God is doing in our midst never underestimate the benefits and the effect of living for Christ in a fallen and difficult world and if you're a Christian today you are shining to some degree like the stars in the sky. And you will continue to do so as you grow in wisdom and in the grace of God. And your life will have an impact in turning others to that source of true righteousness, Jesus Christ himself. May be so for us. May we be encouraged on this day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your the wonderful blessings of Jesus Christ, the hope that is given to us of a of resurrection to come, that we look back to Jesus' resurrection and we know that it's going to be true for us. We thank you for our baptisms that we've been, if we're Christians today and we've been baptized, we can use our baptism to remind us of our status and the blessings of God, the covenant blessings of God. We pray that you would... Establish us in these things, for Jesus' sake. Amen.